Welcome to the Together Project, where we're bringing you fresh voices from seasoned role models to help you stretch and grow in your leadership. During each episode, you'll be hearing from your host, leadership expert, author of Developing Female Leaders, and self-proclaimed jazzercise queen, the incomparable Katie Cole. Katie always says the future isn't just male or female, it's together. So we'll be bringing you leaders who are passionate in their fields and creating a culture where everyone has a seat at the leadership table. You're in for a treat today. Katie is talking with her longtime friend and personal mentor, Jill Brandenburg. Jill is currently a ministry coach and is a former pastor. Jill and Katie are discussing spiritual formation in leadership development, leading when your church is struggling, and the value of the mentoring relationship. We are so glad you tuned in today. Let's grow together. Hey, Ministry Chicks, it's great to see you today. I'm Katie Cole, your host for our interview today with Jill Brandenburg, one of my favorite people. Jill and I met, gosh, probably, I think 24, almost 25 years ago when I first moved to South Florida. She was one of the pastors at the church that I attended, and she just sort of took an interest in me and began pouring into me spiritually and from a leadership space. And for me, it was a transformational experience because I'd never really found my my leadership place in a church before. And so she's been very instrumental to me, has been a mentor for me really my whole life. And now we get to work together in my company. She's one of our leadership coaches. So it's a real treat. And Jill, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to share your story and your wisdom with all of the folks on Ministry Chick. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Yep, it's awesome. I want to start off today just kind of how we start off every interview. I'd really love for you to share with everybody a little bit of your leadership journey, uh, where you sort of started from, how you got to be on staff at a church leading at a very high level. Um, you oversaw many different ministries. You were on a church staff for 20 years, but that was after a whole business career and a really interesting personal life and journey with the Lord. So why don't you go ahead and kind of fill our listeners in on your story? Okay. Well, my leadership journey really started with business um, for, oh gosh, 30 years. <laughs> so that's a pretty long time. I managed large pro shops and I coached teams and I marketed different businesses and I ran national tournaments. I guess in 1974 is where maybe the spiritual leadership started. I had been married to a touring tennis pro for some years, and it was a very difficult marriage. There was a lot of adultery and some physical abuse. So I came to a point in 74 where I really thought about suicide, and mm. I didn't know how to get out of the situation. And I cried out to God, and I said, God, if you are really real, please do something with my life. And he did. I had been in church growing up. And 10 years before that, I was in a church. And for the first time, I heard that Jesus was real and that, that he could come into my life and change my life. But I didn't grow in that period of time. We moved a lot. We were on the tour. And so I was a Christian, but very nominal. And so, how old were you at this time? Well, I was young. <laughs> I was in my 20s and late, late 20s. And I was desperate. I really didn't know what to do. And I didn't know how to get out of the situation. He had threatened my life and I just didn't know what to do. So when I cried out to God, he literally came in and changed my life. I stayed in that marriage for another couple of years. I wanted to honor God. I didn't believe in divorce. Uh, but anyway, I started to grow. I was so desperate to get to know the Lord. I read everything. I read the Bible constantly. I read every book I can get my hands on. And I really did. I really did grow. I led lots of people to the Lord including a few of his girlfriends, which is another whole story. <laughs> we'll save that for another That's part. another day, right? And so in 76, I um, basically escaped to Maryland with my three kids. I had a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 9-month-old. 
and I wanted to be near my sister. So here, even more spiritual growth. I was a single mom supporting three kids. So God had the opportunity to provide for us, to teach me. I was involved in church, in studies, in everything that I could get involved in. And of course, working a lot. Here's where I started business on my own. I started a tennis business, which included a retail shop, and I had a staff of pros. We went to the resort hotels locally. Um, I had a traveling tennis shop. It was a big, bright yellow truck, and I went to the different resort hotels with the tennis shop in there. I organized all kinds of tennis events and all that kind of stuff, and God, like I said, had the opportunity to provide in miraculous ways. And I think I want to tell you a little bit about this, this story a little more in detail. It was a very short season, so I didn't know what I was going to do for the winter. And so I'm driving into Salisbury, which was a little, it was like 35 miles from where I was. And I am praying. I'm on my way to see my grandmother who was in the hospital. And I'm praying. I'm saying, God, I don't know what to do. And most jobs that I'm seeing, I'm not even going to be able to cover the childcare. And so this is the only time this has ever happened to me. But God audibly spoke to me. And he said, call Bob Layton at the Salisbury Indoor Racquet Club. Those exact words, and I can remember those exact words to this day. And I knew it was him because I wasn't going to do that. First of all, <laughs> first of all, it just wasn't where I wanted to be. And secondly, they didn't really run the club like I thought it should be run, of course. Anyway, I knew that I knew that I knew that it was God. So as soon as I got to the hospital, I picked up the phone and called him. And I told him what I felt like I could do to help him get his club turned around. And um, he said, well, call me back in October and we'll talk. I said, okay. So the next day he walks into my shop in Ocean City and he says, okay, how much money do you need to make? When do you want to start? The whole, whole thing. Well, we turned the club around, lots of good stuff. And God really used it in the next thing. I had to move there because it was too far away for the kids to be in Ocean City and for me to be in Salisbury. So I moved there, talked to a realtor, said I could only afford $225 a month. She laughed and said no. And so anyway, she found me a house. And the only problem was the schools were horrible. So um, a block away was a big evangelistic church. So I went over there. They had a preschool and they had a whole school. Of course, I couldn't afford to send my kids there. So I talked to the senior leader there and I said, how about if I coach tennis for the school? And how about if I teach a class here? And he said, okay. So I traded the nursery and the kids schooling. So anyway, that was just one little miracle. There's been so many. God had opportunity after opportunity to take care of me. You know, one of the things I've always really appreciated and admired about your leadership and have been inspired by is you are such a hard worker. You're incredibly gifted with an entrepreneurial spirit as evidence, even just by this example, but your, I think, dependence on the Lord and just how grounded you are in him, no matter what decision you're making, no matter what need you have, you always take it to him with such intimacy and it's not really hopeless desperation. It's desperation in the sense that you know if God doesn't come, that really we don't have much of a leg to stand on. And I can see, I'm just so glad you shared this part of your story because it is amazing how God lays the groundwork for our leadership and ministry through the foundations he establishes in our spiritual life and just our just walking with him, just in our life. It doesn't always have to be this glamorous leadership lesson. It's really he created that connection with you and taught you about himself in some of your darkest moments, and I've seen you access that same information and that same spiritual walk since then. It's beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you. The other neat thing is, is when I got to the big evangelistic church, obviously I attended the church, 
And that was the first time I did any church leadership. I taught the single adult Sunday school class, and it was a really big class. And I also led the teen ministry, of course, as a volunteer. So I kind of got my foot in the door as far as church ministry. And my husband was attending that church. Actually, he wasn't my husband at the time. I was going to say, the person who was become your husband, right? Yes, there you go. That's where I met Bob. That was a miracle in itself. How many guys want to marry somebody with three kids, right? And you all have been married for how long now? Almost 39 years. Yeah, amazing. Wonderful, godly man. And just, yeah, yeah, beautiful story of just reconciliation and redemption and just what God does when we follow him. It really was an amazing story. And again, a story for another time. Anyway, so... We moved to Kentucky after we got married in 1980. We moved to Kentucky, and there were all kinds of great things that happened there. I was coaching state championship tennis team. And talk about leadership, by the way. Um, Not only leading kids to be winners and win on a team. In these cases, you have to coach the parents, the whole thing with parents of athletes. So that was fun. So you learn all kinds of great leadership lessons doing those kinds of things. It's true. Anyone working with students or kids of any kind, you really have two populations that you miss, the kids, but also their parents. Yes, absolutely. And I taught large interdenominational women's studies in both Versailles, which is a smaller town, and in Lexington. So I really kind of jumped into more of a teaching role and a leading role in those areas. I opened an exercise studio in Versailles, which again is a small town. I used only Christian music and a few positive songs thrown in here or there, but it wasn't advertised as a Christian organization. And it became the place to come in Versailles. And we were packed out every class, which was about eight hours a day, which I might add, I started out by teaching all eight hours to start with. And then I hired some some other girls who were able to do that. The, The exercise studio was great. And it was a great business experience. I also managed an anchor store in a large mall that sold upscale women's clothing. I told my coaching group the other day, you know, when you get to be as old as I am, your story is so darn long that it's it's hard to know what to say and what to well, I love Well, I love you sharing all of this, though, because, and I know you're going to get to the ministry experience here in a uh-huh. little bit, but it is amazing how God wastes nothing in our life. So. Every time you opened a new business, every time you led a study, every time you trained aerobics teachers to take over your classes, that was all God growing you in leadership and preparing you for the role you were going to have in the second half of your career, which was in high levels of leadership and ministry. Yes, absolutely. All of these things really, really came in handy. So in October of 87, we had a house fire. And we pretty much lost everything that we had. We decided to move to Florida because we were tired of being cold and we just needed a fresh start. So we did. We moved to Florida. We didn't immediately move to where we ended up. We moved to several different places. One of the places I managed, the Nick Boletary Tennis Center, which if anybody is involved in tennis at all, you know, that was a kind of a big deal. Lots of management and leadership things that you learn through something like that. And then in 91, we were in the West Palm Beach, Palm Beach Gardens area, and I started going to Palm Beach Community Church, which now is family church. Anyway, I built the women's ministry. It was pretty large and very successful and did really well there. I did a lot of teaching, developed a lot of leaders, and for about a year, In my spirit, reading God's word, I felt very strongly that I was going to be in full-time ministry. I had no idea what that looked like, but God was really showing me that that's what my next step was. And then in 1993, I was invited to come on staff at Palm Beach Community, which was shocking to me. All of the 
pastors were guys and they had PhDs and all of that kind of stuff, which I did not have. So they invited me on board. And after a very vigorous elder board interview, I jumped on board. I came on as the director of singles ministries, which is where I met Katie and, and women's ministries. And a year later, I joined the executive team in the church. So during that time, hey, you know, pretty much every ministry, except performing arts, I ran or developed the leader for. And then I was overseeing all the ministries except for performing arts and all the small groups. Yep. And let me just lay the context here a little bit. So this was a church that was a church plant, um, mm-hmm. I guess in 93, how old was it? Maybe 10 years old? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Maybe not quite. Maybe eight years old. It was a one of the fastest, it was probably the fastest growing church in our area at the time, grew to just over a thousand people, I think, while I was there at least. And Jill was right in the middle of all of that. And so she says she was over singles and women's, which kind of sounds like things off to the side, but they were disproportionately humongous compared to our weekend <laughs> service attendance. One of the things I really loved about being connected with Jill is she really modeled for me what it's like to be with great leaders because under great leadership, things grow. Leaders are attracted. People are attracted. There's movement. There's momentum. I had never really experienced that in church before. We kind of had the same sort of stuff. And so it was an exciting thing to be a part of. I was involved in a lot of ministries, some under your leadership, some under Mm -hmm. other people. It was really one of those exciting kind of seasons, I think, for all of us that were on the team at that time. It's a very special time. We're all still very close, even though we're spread, you know, around the county or around the country. We still stay very connected with one another because of what we experienced there. Absolutely. From the time I was there, they really believed in small groups and community. And so you really did get to know people closely and love people closely. And then, of course, I did so much more than, say, the groups in the ministries. I ran the capital campaigns or any of the churchwide initiatives. And Yeah, I know you don't like to give yourself titles um, from your time in ministry, but most other people in other church environments might have the role of executive director or executive pastor just because your span of leadership was so wide, but you also went very deep on the ministries that you personally oversaw. But anything that was church-wide, you really had your arms around also, and you were really one of the leaders who could pull a team together and execute flawlessly and get things done. And so, of course, you had a lot of opportunity to get a lot of things done for the church. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I did. Talk to me a little bit about what it was like to try and manage your leadership life with such a broad scale of oversight. How did you manage yourself personally? How did you run your teams? You were a low budget operation. You did not have many staff members. Even when the church was growing, it was a very lean time. How did you navigate, especially at the height of your leadership, how did you navigate and balance all of that in terms of of work responsibilities? Well, first of all, because it was a very wide range, it was difficult to pull your people together to do your meetings. I still tried to have a leadership team meeting at least once a month with all my ministry leaders, but a lot of times they didn't relate. I'm going to talk a little bit more probably later about calendaring, but it's it's like one of the most important things that I can even tell anyone. In fact, I think I'll just talk about it right now. Yeah, please go right ahead. You you and your little book of calendar kind of go together. So tell our yes, about do. that. <laughs> well, first of all, whether or not you use your computer to calendar or you use a paper calendar, I am just a real believer in having a month at a glance, and using vertical calendaring. When I was teaching in the single adult ministry and women's ministry, and every now and then on Sundays for the message, I had to be able to block out times to prepare what it was going to take. So my my strategy was basically on Sunday nights, I looked at my whole week and I made sure that the big rocks were in place. And big rocks for all of us include your quiet time, your time with your family, the things that they're doing, those things have to go in as a big rock. And then you take your leaders and got to put in time for discipleship 
You've got to put in time for you to sit and to really plan and to have a good quiet time with the Lord. You really should put exercise in. Sometimes that got skipped. <laughs> but don't do that. But don't do that. So I think that is really the only way that I could manage all the things that I was doing. You introduced me to a resource, which I think you're still pretty committed to this, which is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the best books out there. And it's old. So if you're a ministry chicken, you haven't read that book, we both highly recommend it. It's probably been kind of rewritten some of the concepts over the years, but it really is sort of the gold standard for time management and figuring out priorities. And they teach you a calendar system similar to what Jill's talking about. If you work that system, it really does pay off over time. And so that would be a great resource to look into. And there's also some great things in the book that will help you in ministry as far as really understanding how to communicate with people and really listening to what that person is trying to say. There's just so many, so many habits that each one of us need to be strong leaders. Right. It really prioritizes caring for people and yes. having real relationships with people over yes. work relationships, because that's the kind of the grease that allows you to get things done together as a team. It's really biblically based concepts. And so I think you'll see a lot of alignment with what you want to do in ministry. And we actually have a question from Michelle uh, that just came in on our Facebook Live, and which I know this is actually a concept near to your heart. She's asking, how do you recruit team members to do pastoral care, especially when your circle is too large to do it all yourself? You definitely had experience that you care about people. Community was a really big value for us back in those days. It still is for both of us. But yes. in those days, we were trying to almost create systems of care for people. When your ability to touch everyone on your team became impossible, what did you do to build a team or recruit people or how did you disseminate care on behalf of the church to your teams? Well, I'll start with care, but really this works across the board. I, I um, really believe in the spiritual gifts and, and so when I'm looking for someone to lead a team and looking for someone to be a part of something like a care team, I'm looking at their spiritual gifts. You're saying you believe in spiritual gifts, the concept that everyone's got spiritual gifting and their yes. unique gifting needs to be unleashed into ministry. Absolutely. And personally, mercy's really low on mine. So I was always I was looking always for someone that... That, that, because I didn't. And so um, I think we had kind of a system where you would go through the equipping center, where you would get your foundation spiritually, and then you would do the, the 30, what we called the 301 class, which helped us to see what your spiritual gifts were, what your passions were, what you loved, and what your personality was, all of those things. And so that was important before I recruited anyone. We needed to know that. Yeah. So you were looking to help people find their best fit in ministry. And Absolutely. you were especially looking for people who could compliment you and be caregivers and shepherds, gifts of compassion and mercy. Absolutely. Anything else you were looking for in those kind of team members? Well, um, well you know, um, you know, someone that someone is going to lead a care ministry really should have probably a gift of leadership because it's going to grow. And there's so many things. There's hospital visits. There's there's just needs that have to be met. So someone that is going to lead a ministry like that, I was really looking for somebody that could kind of take it past the the gifts of mercy which are so important and then of course intercession all of those things um so gifts of leadership to lead a a team was very very important yeah michelle i michelle i know that uh one of the things is a 
are married to people who are um, maybe more big life of the party people. And so oftentimes there one half of that married team is involved in ministry and leading well. And there's a spouse that's a little bit quieter, who's a little bit more keeping a pulse on the people, is a prayer warrior, is concerned about <laughs> feelings, is reaching out to the person who's disconnected or um, didn't show up. They think of those things. I like to look for those people. And a lot of times I want to make sure both parts of a marriage or both people in a marriage or all members of a family are involved in ministry together. And so that can be a great way to build a complementary team. Absolutely. So Jill, you're really known in your leadership or in this area as someone who knows how to identify and develop leaders. What are some of the things that you've learned over your 25 plus years of ministry? What allows you to kind of see leadership in someone? What are the qualities that you look for, especially in maybe a young or undeveloped leader? And then what do you do to nurture that? Okay. Okay. Well, well. I think people that have a gift of leadership have people around them. They are drawing people right away. So you can almost see a gift of leadership. And I think people that have a gift of leadership attract people with gifts of leadership. Um, So that's one thing. I know that when I met you, of course, you are different. You are amazing. But when I met you, I just knew that you were someone I wanted to spend time with and someone that I knew was going to take off and thrive in ministry. So I spend a lot of time with people. Once I see that in someone, I try to spend as much time as I can with them. And then, of course, I have the whole system of making sure that they are strong spiritually and go through discipleship and those kind of things. But Talk a little bit more about that because I think that's one of the uniquenesses about you. I would say my own experience in other churches or other um, ministry environments, there's a lot of identification of leadership skills, of communication skills, reliability, getting tasks done, being responsible, like all those kind of baselines. You really weed people out spiritually you maybe identify them because of their giftedness, but then you kind of weed them out based on what they're, where they're at spiritually. Talk a little bit about why you do that and how you do that. Okay. It's not just leadership. It's spiritual leadership. And especially in a church situation, if someone doesn't have a strong foundation, if they don't know Jesus Christ and he is the number one thing in in their life, they're not going to lead well. I don't care if they have the best leadership gift in the church. If they don't have a foundation of a relationship with Christ and understanding what it's going to take, when we are in ministry and um, we're serving God, you're going to be in spiritual warfare. And if you don't have the tools to fight that spiritual warfare, you're going to fail. And when you fail, or if you fail, um, it's going to affect the body. It's going to affect the church, not only you. And you don't want to set people up in a situation where they may look like a great leader, but they're not ready. So how did you do that? What were some of the practical ways? If someone's looking at recruiting a team or they've got a team of people and they're wondering now, uh-oh, did I put you know promote someone <laughs> above their spiritual readiness. What are the tools that you use to kind of get an assessment of that? And then what did you do with them when you figured out where they were at? I'm going to hold up a little book for you. (laughs) And this is something that you and I did. (laughs) This is something that you and I did together years and years and years ago. And it was really the only thing at the time that I knew about. It kind of took you through everything. It was a 10 week course Every single leader that I put anywhere went through this. It wasn't necessarily one-to-one. Sometimes it was in a group and that worked great too. Pause for a second. So this is called one-to-one discipleship. You can tell from the graphics, it's super old. This is my book from 20 years ago. I think it might be put out by the navigators or multiplication. Multiplication. We'll put the link on the show notes for this, but uh, it basically walks you through basics of spiritual foundation. So it ensures salvation. It talks about the attributes of God, how to know the Bible, prayer, the spirit-filled life, fellowship, how to witness, 
how to navigate temptation and how you walk in obedience to Christ. It's kind of the basics. Your church might even have things that are basic like this. I know our church did, but there was something different about you spending time with me either one-on-one, or I think I even maybe did this with you with um, one or two other women leaders at the same time. Just the ability to have time with you as a leader and those more intimate quality conversations, because of course we rabbit trailed. So you were really discipling me, not just in the foundations of the faith, but just in my own walk with Christ and what it meant to even be a leader. You were using that time to kind of shape all of that. Yes. Yes. That was really the number one tool that I used. I mean, we had other systems. Um, There were other things that that we did. I actually took information from this book and created a four-week class that happened on Sunday mornings during one of the services so that the people that attended could go to church and then they could come to the class. And it was powerful. I had a, a page in there where I said, okay, if you were to die tonight, Where on this continuum do you think you would be? Would you go straight to heaven? Do you feel confident that you would go to heaven? Or or is there a little question there? And it was really eye-opening how many people did not know that they had a relationship with Christ. And because of him, they were headed to heaven. And so it was so important to me that these people, even if they were never going to be leaders, that they really got the main foundation of what they needed to learn in order to survive as a Christian. I think it's so easy when we're in ministry and we're running programs and we've got systems and classes going. Uh, I think many times it's easy for us to just assume people get it. They're here every week. They're in small groups. They might even be leading in ministry in places. But until someone actually takes the time to really ask the personal question, not in the context of what do you think the right answer is for someone else, but what do you actually think or believe, it's really kind of amazing how many question marks there are still out there. And especially if you're in a place that's short on leaders. I volunteer leaders. I think sometimes we can even plug people into roles of, of responsibility that are probably great for them, but it also takes away their ability to ask questions, their ability to not know answers, their ability to wonder, and to really be coached and discipled in the faith. And that's one thing that you did is you always just kind of took everybody back to the beginning. I mean, I had been walking with the Lord for quite a while. I had a good relationship with God. I was very hungry and pursuing Him, but you still took me back to the basics. And I remember talking to you about some questions I had just about the Trinity, which is a pretty basic concept. I knew that I believed it, but I didn't quite get how it worked. Just the gift of having someone care enough about my understanding of God to let me ask the question and then help me have the light bulb go on really did build that foundation that I could stand on for the marathon of ministry instead of getting tripped up by something later on, which I do see happen in a lot of leaders' experiences. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Now you would do this one-on-one. You would also do it in small groups, sometimes in like a triad one-on-two or, you know, maybe a small group. And then of course, when I've always seen as our culture has shifted the need for more classes, because then you could sort of teach these concepts quicker to a larger group of people. But obviously those one-on-one experiences are really the more one-on-one you get, the closer you get to that, the more engaging the conversation is, or at least that small kind of group of one to three, something like that. Would you agree? Is that Absolutely. And I actually did this in a little bit bigger group every now and then, and it really was not as effective. It's not really. No, no, it absolutely isn't. So I think one to three is maybe perfect for someone who has a lot of people to lead. That's the thing. If you're a very busy leader, you can't just take everybody you're trying to develop one-on-one through a program like this. And when you would do small groups, like we met each other, right? So now I've got sisters in the Lord that we're holding each other accountable. We're not dependent on you. So yeah, that kind of team of three is a great model for developing. So I would just encourage all of you in Ministry Chick that if you are leading teams or leading groups of any kind to take some time and work on the spiritual side of it, even if it's a miniature version of this, even if it's this book, there's a lot of other options out there now too. You could Google that. That kind of process has been really foundational 
foundational to you building great teams. And really, you don't lead lots of teams now, but the people who were under your leadership, I would say I could probably name very easily 30 to 40 people who are serving in ministry, either full-time or as full-time volunteers now in ministry that really are the legacy that you have in ministry leadership. There are churches all over the place and you really set them up for success. So when we think long-term leadership development, those things have to be in the early days. They absolutely do. Yeah. And the other thing I think I might bring up about um, being in a small group of three doing it and having other people pour into each other is those people are going to be more apt to take someone else through I found that sometimes when it was one-on-one, even though it was great, then they thought, oh, well, I have to be able to know everything. Mm. (laughs) And and they don't. Nobody needs to know everything. And of course, I don't know everything, not even close. But when you set yourself up in a situation for this kind of thing, if you've got several people that are pouring into each other, they're going to be more apt to take it forward. And that's what you want to happen. That's really good. And in fact, they can even pair off and do it together for the first round. In fact, I think I sent you a picture of my front page in my book a little while ago because I wrote down every person I've taken through. I think it's been uh, 35 to 40 people I've probably taken through, which is probably nowhere near you. But I always say, you know, this is really, you did it for me. I'm trying to do it for other people. I'm encouraging them to do it for others. That's really kind of that discipleship model that's super effective, even in leadership, but especially in leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love for you, Jill, um, I know we're going to wrap up here on your story part, but I would love for you to talk a little bit about your last season of ministry. You had a couple tough parts to sort of the end of your ministry career. You were at a church that was started to decline in growth. It had been sort of the place and it ended up having some financial difficulties, <laughs> lost some leadership and started to go down. And so then eventually was taken over by another church and is sort of rebounded in new life. And it's been a beautiful story to watch kind of in the kingdom. But I would love for you to talk about that and just what that was like for you as a leader and how you navigated that. Because I know there are many people in leadership right now who aren't on the chart that's up and to the right. They're struggling. They have less money than they did last year. They have less people than they did last year. Talk to us a little bit about staying in ministry, even when it's not as joyful or as exciting. Okay. First of all, if you feel like you're called to a position, you stay and you ask God to guide you through every step that you're in. And you don't leave a position when things are difficult just because they're difficult. That's the number one thing. And I think most of us feel that calling. I know I did. I knew that I knew that I had been called there. And so it's very important that I honor God with what he has called me to do. I would say the biggest challenge for me was the church split because it was so painful. You have poured your life into so many people and then they're not there anymore and your heart is broken. So you're trying to stay very positive. You have to, and you're trying to keep that vision alive and keep the people that you're leading strong. You're also needing to develop new leaders because some of the key people that were in positions, they left. And so you had big holes in ministry. So you were trying to develop um, new people for those, those holes, basically. And at the same time, trying to make sure that God was teaching you and leading you and giving you wisdom and, and also healing your heart at the same time. So, yeah. It is interesting how when things don't go awesomely, yeah. how it really challenges us to make sure we know where our identity is, that our leadership is not based on success or things on the outside, because really God doesn't call us to be successful, especially in ministry. He calls us to be faithful. And so reaffirming that calling, doing what you know you're called to do and being faithful in it, being aware of what's going on, being open about what's happening and honest about it, but really trying to make sure that you keep your heart in the right place and you don't get caught up in the wrong things or let bitterness or anger or frustration set in. Yes. 
Yes. So there were quite a few years like that, actually. We were trying to build a building and and the city council didn't really want a church on PGA Boulevard. So there were years of, of those kind of challenges where people just lost faith that it was ever going to happen. But it did happen, by the way. And it's an amazing facility. But it was difficult. It was difficult. So we had a lot of capital campaigns and, you know, all kinds of those things that don't necessarily build your church. You know, one of the things I appreciated about you is you were very honest kind of about the hard parts of that, but you always stayed true to honoring God and what you were doing, making sure you were pouring into people, developing leaders, all those really key principles that you learned early on, you just kept doing and being faithful to those things. And those things really carried you in your ministry, but also the church through those times. It was those faithful people that stuck with it. And then God really rebirthed it. And it's been a beautiful thing to watch now, even though it may look like it's a new church or under a new name, it's still many of the same people Yes. that you developed and built there are now being re-unleashed into ministry and leading at higher levels than ever before. It's really something. It is exciting. I'm, I'm loving that that's happening. It, it's really good. So, yeah. so um, we have a question here. Um, someone was looking up uh, while we were talking one-to-one discipleship. Apparently it's out of print. Did you know that? No, I just ordered some a while ago. So we will put in our notes if there's any other ideas that we, I know of a couple things that might work. Jill and I have also brainstormed about rewriting a book like this. So this may be our confirmation, Jill, that we need to. Oh, goodness. We might have to do that. (laughs) How exciting would that be? I know, I know. I don't want to end your story though without talking a few minutes about what happened to your youngest son a few years ago and some of the lessons you've learned in navigating that. Can you just talk to us a little bit about that and the lessons and wisdom you have for leaders? Sure. I'm not sure I handled it the best way, honestly, but my both my sons were in a boating accident and my youngest son, Christian, died. And um, it was, to say the least, devastating, um, the most devastating thing that can really happen to a mom, right? I was leading at a very high level at the time, and I still continued to do the same things that I was doing. And that is the way I handled grief. And I'm not really saying you might learn from me opposites. Sometimes that happens to me in my life. Uh, But but I, I honestly think um, I should have probably put some things down, but I kept working hard. I kept trying to keep things going. And although God was sustaining me, I wasn't healing yet. And I really didn't heal. I don't think you ever heal, but I didn't really heal totally until I was no longer employed. I resigned actually to take care of my mother and to go into coaching. I had some time. Mm-hmm. And it takes time to grieve. And I would recommend to anybody that is in a grieving process, you have to maybe take your calendar and maybe that's one of your big rocks. And I cried my eyes out to God in my quiet time, but then I kind of jumped in and worked and just worked hard. I think I still was effective, but I don't know. I probably could have been a whole lot more effective if I had grieved. And I think we've talked about this quite a bit since then, because that was such a hard time. The church was struggling. And then all of a sudden you had a personal tragedy. So you personally were struggling and it is hard to know what to do when those things happen. And I think it's just an important lesson for those of us in leadership, for those of us who lead people who are going through difficult times to make sure we give space for that to happen. Uh, One of the books I've read on grief talked about how everyone experiences grief, but only few accept God's invitation of mourning. And I remember the day that I feel like you decided to finally begin to mourn and you started your beach walks and collecting shells. (laughs) And I think you spent three years walking the beach collecting beautiful shells. I know every Christmas and birthday, I got a shell decorated something. (laughs) We all have our own journey in that. And I've just so appreciated you. You maybe don't feel like you did it exactly right, but 
I mean, I watched you just do the hard work of leaning into that, of trying to be faithful to the Lord in the callings He had given you at church with your mom, who was whose health was failing. Um, she was in her 90s at the time, to your husband who was trying to retire, to yourself, to your other two kids. You just had a lot that you were balancing, and there isn't one right way to do that. But I think what's amazing about you is in your whole life, you've always just leaned into the Lord, sought His guidance and His timing. Uh, You had big decisions in the middle of that, but you were very faithful to do what you believed God was doing and how God was leading you. No matter what any of the rest of us thought, you were going to be obedient and only do what you knew He was calling to. And so now on the other side, you do have a, a story that's stronger and richer. I know when I watch you with some of your coaching clients, the depth of care and insight you're able to give people now is at even a higher level because of what you've experienced. And not just because of what you've experienced coming at you in your life, but how you've grown through that. And so the experience of walking with the Lord, really in that valley of the shadow of death, He brings us through it. But until you've been through it, it's hard to speak about it to other people. And so thank you for that part of your leadership for uh, me and also for our listeners. It's been pleasure to, to journey that with you. Thank you. Uh, any last kind of advice that you have or anything from your story you want to make sure we highlight in the last couple of minutes before I ask you our last three questions? Okay. Let's see. Yeah. I think some other things that I might say is the piece about spiritual warfare. I think it's so important for each one of us to realize that when we are on the front lines and we're serving God, Satan hates us, and he literally wants to kill us. The Bible tells us that. I know that in my life, he tried to do that. I am so grateful for the tools that I learned and the battles that I fought, how important it is to pray God's word out loud, by the way. So speak God's word. That's what Jesus did in the desert when Satan was after him. And so we need to learn to speak his word. If you don't know his word really well, then find scriptures that really point to the thing where God, where Satan is after you. We need to know our vulnerabilities. We need to know that if we don't get enough sleep, that's when he attacks or any number of things in our lives. When does he attack us? We've got to know that that's real and it's going to happen. It's not if it happens, it's when it happens. That is so true. And I think that's one of the things that you've always really emphasized. I came from a very kind of conservative background. And when I first met you and you're talking about spiritual warfare, I'm like, what are you talking about? But really, you're just talking about the reality of good versus evil in the spiritual realm. And when any of our listeners, if you've not really learned how to pray God's word out loud, one of our favorite resources is Beth Moore's book, Praying God's Word. It's basically just a whole book of different scriptures around different topics. And I think that's been a tool for both you and I over the years. If if you're dealing with feeling tired, feeling lonely, if you're losing faith, if you're fearful, got a whole bunch of topical things and all this scriptures that she in her life has kind of pulled and used as that spiritual sword, that one weapon of attack that we have in our spiritual armor. So start there, even allow God to really show you in his word, the scriptures that he has for you. That is where the power is. And if we don't leverage that spiritual tool, we're really just going into battle ill-equipped. I know so many leaders who I can tell are not equipped spiritually to handle what's happening because they just get taken out. Their families get taken out. They get taken out. They're just wounded in the process. And so making sure you gird yourself up with that is a really important piece. Thank you for including that. So in our last couple of minutes, I want to ask you our last three questions we ask everybody. So who is your favorite leader in the Bible? It's not a female. I'm so sorry. It's Joseph. When I look at his life and I look at the things that he experienced and the challenges that he had, I just relate so much to that and how important it is to be obedient. And he was obedient. I love that. I love that the things that he went through, he just hung in there with God and honored God. And that's who I want to be. That's awesome. Do you have a favorite female leader that you like to watch or have fired to be like? This is going to 
You are my favorite female leader. Yes, you really are. You know what? I've had the honor and the privilege of watching you since your early 20s go from being a good leader to a great leader. And just the things that you've accomplished, starting the School of Leadership, amazing. Um, and it's thriving today, even though you're not there to run it. Um, and that's leadership. And just speaking into executive teams all over the country, creating systems for multi-site, all the things that you have accomplished, Katie, but it's not just that. It's also watching you as you navigated all the challenges when Matt was in that serious accident and just navigating all that you needed to do and caring for him. And then in my mind, you're the best mom I have ever known. If you all don't know this about her, she puts Ethan first. She's an amazing mom. Ethan is a priority and she pours her life into him and she schedules her life so that he is a priority. She's making memories that he will never forget. And so Katie, you're my favorite leader. So. You are not supposed to do that. <laughs> I'm sorry, you really are. <laughs> That's very sweet. And that means a ton coming from you. So thank you. Okay, last question. In your ministry life, do you have a favorite life hack recommendation that you can give our ministry chicks today? I actually have two. The number one one is if you can possibly do it, hire a housekeeper. <laughs> um, even if she, even if they just come once every two weeks, it really is so great not to have to clean the toilets and wash the floors and just do the stuff that takes up so much time in your little bit of time off. The second one I already talked a little bit about, and I highly recommend the scheduling vertically. So, so important. You know what? I'm going to give you a third one. In church work, it's so hard to have a Sabbath day of rest. You need it. God tells us to have it and figure out a way to have it for yourself. That is so true. Such good advice. And we'll put some uh, information in our notes that you can look up, including the um, calendaring vertically so that you can take a look at what she means by that. But Jill, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for the role in my life and in so many other people's lives. If you want to learn more about Jill, you can go uh, to our website, check out her information, or if you'd like to follow up with her. But thank you so much for today. And Mystery Chicks, thanks for joining us. Or if you're watching this on the recording, please leave some comments so that we know uh, the stuff that you're learning, the things that you like about this. Also, if you have other people that you think would be great for us to interview, or even if it's yourself, nominate yourself, let us know and we'd love to meet you. So have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, Jill. Bye. Thank you to Jill for joining us today on The Together Project. Be sure to follow her on social media. And as always, we'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast. Head on over to iTunes and rate this podcast, comment, and leave a review for us. This helps the magic of algorithms send this podcast to more listeners. To learn more about Katie Cole, find her on social media at K-A-D-I-C-O-L-E or visit her website, www.katiecole.com. And if you happen to be a chick in ministry, Join our Ministry Chick group on Facebook at Ministry Chick. Remember, the future can't be just male or female. It's got to be together. Thanks for growing with us.